This week, Ultra Appeals make whole post-petition interest decision to U.S. Supreme Court. Reard publishes analysis of talent plan treatments. Voyager plan acceptance at 97% ahead of contested confirmation hearing. Hello and welcome to Reorg Podcast, where we bring the latest developments in high yield, distressed debt, and bankruptcy. I'm David Zipkis. For this week's Deep Dive, we feature a replay from the Reorg Primary View series where Ajay Bajor, Managing Director at Baird Global Investment Banking's Restructuring Advisory, discusses interest rates, the outlook for restructurings, middle market companies, private credit, and the best cheesesteaks in Philadelphia with Reorg's James Holloway. It's Friday, February 24th. On Wednesday, the Voyager Digital Debtors told Judge Michael Wiles that preliminary voting tabulations for their Chapter 11 plan show approximately 97% acceptance ahead of the confirmation hearing scheduled for March 2nd. Objectors to the plan include the U.S. Federal Trade Commission, the Securities and Exchange Commission, New York State, and an ad hoc group of equity holders. The FTF's group debtors, including Alameda Research, agreed not to object to Voyager's plan as part of an overall framework for resolving disputes between the two states. The FTC's objection argues that the plan proposes to grant the debtors a discharge to which they are not legally entitled and requests that the court strike what it says are impermissible release and injunctive provisions. The FTC disclosed that it has commenced an investigation to certain acts and practices of the debtors and the debtors' employees, directors, and officers for their deceptive and unfair marketing of cryptocurrency to the public, and that its investigation is being pursued under the police and regulatory exception to the automatic state under the bankruptcy code. The SEC in New York flagged concerns over Binance's ability to keep customer assets safe upon migration to its platform as well as its regulatory licensing status. The ad hoc group of equity holders and top co-voyager Digital Limited objected in order to preserve more than $220 million in intercompany claims allegedly owed to Topco. Ultra Petroleum filed a petition for writ of certiorari with the U.S. Supreme Court seeking review of the October 22 ruling by the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit affirming Judge Marvin Isger's 2020 Ultra Petroleum decision where Judge Isger held that the debtors must pay unsecured creditors make whole premiums and contracrate post-petition interest, or PPI, including default interest, to render them unimpaired in solvent cases. Framing the scope of review, the petition says the question presented is whether an unwritten solvent debtor exception overrides the bankruptcy code statutory text and allows creditors in solvent debtor cases to recover amounts that the code disallows. The petitioners say the Fifth Circuit got the answer, quote, grievously wrong, favoring the judicial gloss on since-repeated statutes to apply the unwritten solvent debtor exception over the clear text of the bankruptcy code and that the decision overrides the code's plain text and requires the debtors to pay some $387 million of unmatured interest consisting of a $201 million make whole and $186 million in post-petition interest at a contractual default rate. The Fifth Circuit had rejected the notion that the make whole amount could be classified as permissible liquidated damages rather than unmatured interest barred by Section 502b2 of the Bankruptcy Code. However, like the Ninth Circuit's ruling in PG&E in August 2022, the Fifth Circuit found that prior pre-code practice embodied in the solvent debtor exception required payment of the make whole notwithstanding it being unmatured interest. Since Talon's Chapter 11 plan was confirmed in December 2022, market prices of power and natural gas, both of which are key revenue and cost drivers for the company, have dropped materially. Power prices in the debtor's primary market, PJM, for the second half of 2023 are currently at least $20 per megawatt lower than what forward prices were at the time the company prepared its projections, which will be partially offset by lower natural gas prices. The extent to which this impacts the company will be determined by the company's hedge book, which was last disclosed in in September 2022. Current quotes for Talon's unsecured notes of approximately 35 imply a reorganized equity value of about $2.5 billion, slightly lower than planned equity value of approximately $2.8 billion. 
Reorg This Week published an analysis of planned treatment by stakeholder group. For a full analysis, including an illustrative exit capital structure and analysis of the debtor's post-emergence financial projections, along with generation assets by region and fuel mix, along with an Excel download, please reach out to a rear representative. Broadly, Talon's plan repays secured claims in full in cash, while providing nearly all the reorganized equity of the company's unsecured note holders. The plan also contemplates a $1.55 billion rights offering, which, if holders do not participate in, will dilute their respective share of the post-reorg equity. The plan also contemplates 1% of the new common equity going to various entities of Riverstone, which was the debtor's private equity sponsor and owner of Talon's pre-petition equity. As part of a settlement referred to as a TEC Global Settlement in exchange for cancellation of the party's existing equity interests, in addition to 1% of the equity, the parties would receive warrants to purchase up to 5% of the new equity. The new warrants have a five-year term and a strike price based on equity value of $3.5 billion. Top red stories this week included Zantac manufacturer defendants seek to exclude California JCCP plaintiff's general causation expert testimony. Asbestos claimants seek dismissal of Bestwall two-step case, citing Third Circuit's LTL dismissal decision, say circumstances in both cases nearly identical. AMC Class A stockholder seeks order invalidating issuance of AMC preferred equity units, seeks TRO preventing up- upcoming shareholder vote. Centerworld ad hoc lender group working to finalize file RSA plan documents next week. But major issues remain outstanding. Debtors report receiving many bids for ROW business. And now here's Kate Thomas from New York with the week ahead. Hi, this is Kate Thomas here to highlight a few court hearings in the week ahead. Starting on Tuesday, the Promessa Oversight Board will be defending the adequacy of its modified disclosure statement for PREPA's first amended plan of adjustment at what is likely to be a contested hearing. The Oversight Board is facing objections from several parties, including PREPA bondholder groups, the Official Committee of Unsecured Creditors, Unions, and Retirement Systems. The Oversight Board filed a modified disclosure statement on February 21st that responds to some of these objections with relatively minor changes. However, many objectors take issue with the monoline insurers purportedly outsized recovery under the plan following a recent settlement with the Oversight Board. Wednesday might be known as Hump Day, but this week, Wednesday, is also Dip Day. The core scientific, CERTA, and Party City debtors will all be in court that day for final approval of their respective dip facilities. In core scientific, a motion to appoint an official committee of equity holders was also scheduled to go forward on Wednesday, but an ad hoc group of note holders filed an emergency motion to adjourn that hearing to a date to be determined to, quote, allow a reasonable time for appropriate discovery, unquote, related to the motion. Turning to Thursday, the Voyager debtors have a combined hearing to approve their disclosure statement and confirm their plan, which is the subject of several objections from regulators and the ad hoc group of equity holders. The plan effectuates the sale of Voyager assets to Binance, but includes a toggle feature that allows the debtors to return cryptocurrency, cash, and other assets to claim holders if the sale to Binance is unable to close by an outside date. The endo debtors will also be in court on Thursday, looking to extend their exclusive right to file and solicit a plan through June 12th and August 11th, respectively, and to approve their bid procedures for a 363 sale of substantially all their assets. 
This hearing was adjourned in January so that the debtors could try resolving objections from multiple parties through mediation. Finally, on Friday, Bausch Health and Bausch and Long will be in New Jersey State Court to argue for dismissal of the complaint brought by a group of Valiant Securities fraud plaintiffs. The complaint seeks a declaration that transfer made during Bausch Health's spinoff of its vision assets to Bausch and Long are voidable as fraudulent transfers, as well as a preliminary injunction from further transfers of Bausch and Long shares during the lawsuit. The Bausch defendants assert that the complaint should be dismissed on several grounds, including that these asset transfers related to the Bausch and Lomb spinoff are not transfers for less than reasonably equivalent value, and that the plaintiffs fail to adequately allege insolvency at Bausch. Well, that's it for our preview of the week ahead. Back to you, David. For this week's Deep Dive, we feature a replay from the New York Prime Review series where Ajay Bajor, Managing Director at Baird Global Investment Banking's Restructuring Advisory, discusses interest rates, the outlook for restructurings, middle market companies, private credit, and the best cheesesteaks in Philadelphia with New York's James Holloway. Good morning and welcome to the Primary View, where we bring you incisive interviews and insight on issues affecting and impacting distressed debt, leverage finance, direct lending, high yield, municipals, and covenants, along with private credit, private equity, middle market, and private debt. I'm James Holloway. Today, it's my great pleasure to introduce Ajay Bajor, a managing director in Baird's Restructuring Advisory Group. Ajay has over 20 years of investment banking and corporate finance experience. He joined Baird from DC Advisory, where he co-led US Debt Advisory and Restructuring as a managing director. Prior to DC Advisory, he was a managing director in the restructuring group at Guggenheim. And prior to that, a senior restructuring banker at Peter J. Solomon and Miller Buckfire and Company. He began his career at Credit Suisse First Boston and received a bachelor's degree in economics from the University of Pennsylvania and an MBA from the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. Ajay, um, Philadelphia. So I must confess that my knowledge of sports is limited to Bass Masters and NASCAR, but I do understand <laughs> that the Eagles of Philadelphia are playing the Chiefs of Kansas City in the Super Bowl. On whom should I put my bets? <laughs> well, thanks so much, and I appreciate that opening question. Um, for one, uh, Jim, you've got a, a fabulous uh, radio voice, uh, so I think your skills are being appropriately utilized for reorg. Um, but yeah, Jim, as you mentioned before, um, big Philadelphia fan, uh, raising two girls in New York City. They bleed green as well, um, but you know, lots of respect for the uh, the Chiefs organization. But uh, I think this is going to be a blowout. Eagles by at least a touchdown. Oh, okay. And who is going to walk away with the MVP trophy? Jalen Hurts, uh, MVP trophy. Okay, great. Thank you. And now on to uh, the dismal science of economics, as it were. <laughs> um, there does seem to be some optimism in the market, um, despite the Fed's rate hikes. Um, but the blowout payrolls report last week doesn't suggest that the Fed is going to signal a pivot at any time soon. And of course, we have CPI coming up on Tuesday. How do you see this impacting the restructuring market into uh, through this year and into 2024? Yeah, I appreciate that. I, I think, you know, broadly speaking, there's even when there's a glimmer of hope, I feel like the market reacts to it. Um, uh, you know, my view is that the Fed's been pretty consistent in their messaging. Um, uh, the, the the rate hikes have also been fairly consistent with the messaging. 
Um, and, you know, broadly speaking, as we look into the, you know, how this impacts uh, the stress distress market into 23 and 24, uh, rates have increased significantly. Um, LIBOR, if we look back to the beginning of 22 or even late 21, has almost increased 10 times, right, from below 50 basis points to close to 5%. Uh, that is a significant jump for anyone who has floating rate interest. Uh, SOFR has also increased considerably. Um, and, you know, for companies that have uh, a large interest burden, they really need to make decisions now as to how best to allocate capital, because uh, a large portion of uh, cash flow is going to be allocated to um, cash interest service. Uh, that means there's less uh, to invest into the business, either in operations or capital improvements. Um, and for businesses that um, that do have, let's say, a tightening liquidity uh, time frame, they do need to be more proactive into this market. So uh, we do anticipate uh, there to be a pickup in activity uh, through 23 and 24, just as a, as a result of rate increases broadly that's occurred over the past couple of years. Okay, thank you. That's a that's a that's very definitely something to ponder. Um, are there any particular sectors where you th think there could be more indications or more signs of distress? Yeah, um, I mean, Baird is a uh, is is a leader in the middle market. Um, we focus across industries, but I'd say a couple industries where we've seen more activity of of recent are in the retail sector as well as in the healthcare sector. Um, with respect to retail, um, you know, it's broad-based uh, retail, but we're seeing it within uh, restaurants and food chains. Um, and that that could be, a, you know, an element of um, supply chain um, and food pricing. Um, and then there are a number of retailers that are sitting on large inventory balances. So retail as a whole is, is a sector that we're starting to see more activity. Um, healthcare, on the other hand, for different factors, um, but uh, starting to see some activity as well. Uh, healthcare services in particular, where there is a large roll-up component to these businesses, where there's acquisition activity uh, for new builds or acquisitions of clinics or um, essentially um, um, you know, build 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 outs of the portfolio uh, come with a cost. Um, and in the past, financing markets as open as they were, and fairly aggressive as it related to how to measure, uh, you know, pro forma EBITDA for those acquisitions, or the flexibility in which you could finance those. Uh, you know, over time, you know that EBITDA does need to translate into real cash generation. So there are businesses out there that are struggling. Uh, from a perspective of being able to integrate those businesses appropriately, working capital always an issue in healthcare as well. But broadly speaking, you know, with uh, as we mentioned before, with the increase in cash interest burden, more of these issues become acute when you have to think about how to allocate capital across the business. Okay, thank you. And what kind of restructuring activity would you expect to take place? Are we going to see more amendments or more big R type restructuring? Yeah, I, I think we're, we're going to see a, a, a mix of both. Uh, there's been a lot of talk around um, the up tier transactions that have been, you know, broadly uh, covered across reorg. Um, and 
I think we'll see more of those types of transactions. And it's largely because there still is a lot of covenant flexibility um, within documentation, credit documentation. Uh, and you know, to the extent that flexibility continues to exist, um, you know, we're all going to do our jobs as good restructuring bankers to figure out what is the most appropriate way to get a deal done uh, for all of our clientele. Uh, so I absolutely see there to be a continued type of, uh, let's call it uh, creative, uh, you know, solutions around a number of these balance sheet issues. Okay, thank um, you. But, but, but related to that, I mean, we're starting to see, um, you know, even extensions that on the surface look like uh, amend to extend transactions, um, but they have coercive elements to them. They may not be closing with those coercive elements uh, completely built in, but the starting point uh, for where the amendments get launched um, have had that element to them. So there's been, you know, a fair amount of, you know, uh, you know, I guess, nuanced structure around a number of the, you know, uh, situations that have hit the market in the early part of this year. Okay, thank you. Now, you mentioned middle market and reorg, reorg of course, covers middle market private credit. Um, has that part of the market experienced any different kind of activity than the larger cap? And, and I guess if you could, just how is middle market different structurally, I suppose, from the larger cap market? And how would private credit play into that? Yeah, it's it's important. Interesting that you brought in private credit because I think that is a a large driver of distinction in these markets. Um, so uh, we we broadly define the mid market. We don't you know put a pin in a specific number, but you could broadly think of it as you know below the three billion dollar you know capital structure size uh, metric. And direct lending has plays a big uh, role in the financing of a number of these companies. Um, where the traditional leverage loan or bond market has not been available for some of these mid-market businesses, direct lending has been open for some time. Um, they're sitting; many of these funds are sitting flush with capital to allocate. And what's important in the direct lending market is that the capital, while it's not going to come, you know, necessarily on a headline cheaper rate basis, it comes with flexibility that the traditional market doesn't typically provide. Um, so, um, you know, from data from our capital advisory team at Baird, um, I was surprised to see this fact, but in January of this year, 23, we actually had more uh, direct uh, lender financing uh, closed on than January of 22. Um, so uh, when rates were in a different ballpark, as I mentioned before. Um, so, you know, th there is that attractive financing uh, that is available for businesses that um, you know have a need to, um, to to tap the market. Okay, great, thank you. And what do you think, or do you have a sense of how private equity sponsors will be proactive in this cycle to uh, modify or remedy or address the balance sheets of their portfolio companies? Yeah, um, that's a good question. Um, so, uh, as I mentioned before, and you know, as everyone listening to podcasts is aware. Um, the market was so active in 21, uh, given where the rate environment was, that a number of capital structures and the maturity wall has pushed out fairly significantly to the, you know, 25 plus year, uh, you know, 25 and beyond uh, timeframe. But with that said, um, there are a number of businesses that are going through transitions 
um, their cyclicality in businesses. And I anticipate that there's actually going to be some more proactivity amongst, um, you know, sponsors, corporate clients of ours um, that, you know, may need a little bit more time than, you know, a, you know, a two-year window may provide. But there are uh, situations um, where we've seen, you know, very creative, uh, you know, extensions or exchanges being done in the marketplace such that, um, you know, company sponsors are able to buy that time that is necessary to execute on their business plans and turnarounds. Um, you know, I think the, uh, you know, the, the, the mantra that we, we tend to, you know, follow internally and with, with our clients is, you know, the more, the earlier you are to situations, um, the more optionality you have. And when you can think through what the right options are, you don't necessarily need to execute on them, uh, all of them. But at least you know um, what doors are still open. And the longer you wait, the more doors that close. Um, so, um, you know, I do think that uh, just given the, you know, the, the I'd say the um, complexity of the types of deals that are out there, there is more of a appetite from, you know, both sponsors and, and corporate clients to engage in the right transaction, um, you know, earlier rather than later. Okay, thank you. Very wise words. Um, now, one more question, and this is perhaps most important of all. Uh, my daughter is going on a school trip to Philadelphia this spring. What is the best place to get a cheesesteak? Is it Pat's or is it Gino's? <laughs> um, so, uh, of the two, I would pick Pat's. Um, I mean, they're both iconic uh, institutions. So, if you're going to that, um, you know, going to South Philly, uh, she should definitely get both and see which one she prefers. Um, uh, the, the place that I always preferred growing up uh, was uh, Jim's on South Street, uh, but unfortunately they're closed. They had a fire. Um, but when they do reopen and they will be back, um, uh, Jim's is definitely uh, my favorite. Oh, thank and, and as long as we're on the subject of favorite, who's your favorite Philadelphia Eagle of all time? <laughs> um, well, uh, I would say... Uh, of all time, it's probably Reggie White. Um, he, uh, you know, watching some of the old games and, uh, you know, I, I love the old, you know, Kelly Green uh, uniforms, uh, you know, that we grew up on. But uh, Reggie White is that is that iconic player that, you know, I always, always resonates with uh, that time when we were all kids. Okay, great. Well, Ajay, thank you very much for being with us and sharing your wisdom. Join Reorg's product showcase webinar on Tuesday, February 28th at 9 a.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. GMT, as Jeff Kramer and Luke Woods show how ESGX can satisfy contractual regulatory reporting needs in the leveraged finance and private credit markets. And join Reorg on Monday, February 27th, 11 a.m. GMT, as we discuss Madeline's prospects following its restructuring and how quickly the company can bounce back from last year's collapse in earnings. Register now at reorg.com or email marketing at reorg.com for further information. Thank you again for listening to this Reorg Weekly Review. Find all our podcasts on the Reorg.com webinars and podcast page, as well as Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, and Amazon. If your families are healthy and safe, have a great weekend. See you next Friday.